Good morning to everyone here today. You can do a little better than that. Isn't that the same joke that everyone always says when they say good morning and it's relatively quiet? They always ask him to say it again. Good morning. Good morning. There we go. It's a lot better. I know I got a mic so I sound loud, but that sounds good. In the past, I've had the privilege of doing a handful of sermons. It's been a pleasure. And when I've done those sermons and put them together, I've always ended up with a broad topic, something pretty general, a topic about faith, about going through trial, a topical sermon. And while there's nothing wrong with, with a topical sermon, in fact, they can be quite powerful because you can pull verses out of all different kinds of scripture and, and there's just endless verses for a lot of different topics. This time, I, I thought, you know, I might want to dive in a little deeper, go a little more in depth and study just purely out of a book straight from the text that way. And so, as you can see, Colossians is where I ended up here. You might say, Russ, where did you get that idea to do Colossians? Did you get it from Dale? If you guys have been attending on, uh, on Wednesday night, you'll know that we've been going through Colossians for the last three to four weeks. Dale put that forth. But the thing is, when I began putting this lesson together, I didn't know that Dale was doing Colossians on Wednesday. So in the end, there's only really one thing to say. And it must be that great minds think alike. And while that sounds awful proud and awful boastful, and it does, and it would if my mind was one of those great minds in the equation. Let me explain a little bit. While Dale would have come up with Colossians class on Wednesday on all his own, I didn't arrive at Colossians on my own here. In fact, in one of my last meetings with Hugh, Hugh and I would often get together, and we were talking about preaching and expository preaching. We were looking at uh, that closer look into the Word, maybe doing a series on something. And he suggested that the book of Colossians would be a good start. So I guess the only credit that I can really take is that maybe I was just smart enough for a brief moment that I took the advice of someone who I thought was quite wise. And you guys know Hugh and, Hugh and Dale. Those are the great minds. They've been great mentors to me. And so that's how we arrive at Colossians here today. And so we're going to be looking at the introduction and part one to Colossians. And while I had this in mind that it would be a series with how well Mr. Abraham performed here last week, I realized it might take a good long time till we reach the conclusion of this series. There's only four chapters in the book. But Curtis did such a great job. And you know what? Fear not. While we're not looking at the whole book today, God's Word is, is full of great messages. And so while this is just a mini part of the entire series, we're going to have something that we can glean from God's Word today. I'm going to use the water that I brought up. That's a pretty cute kid up there. He's not as cute as mine. but uh, And there's a lot of people probably that would fight me on that. I see a lot of cute kids here. Some of them aren't so much kids anymore. There's... My pal Jones there, who looks like he's a five-year-old. I think he's barely two. But there's a lot of cute kids out there. This guy on the screen here, I don't know who he is, whose baby that is. But he does share some traits with my son. And I bet you can probably guess the one that it is. See, we all have little bit problems in this world. Is there anyone out there who has no problems in their life? I encourage you to raise your hand. It might take a bit of a beating if you do, because, I mean, like I said, everyone's got them. And so a problem that Ashley and I have been having lately is that our son is always wanting to spit up. And I understand that after a feed and the 20 minutes after that when you're broken him, that a baby's going to spit up. That's just normal. I'm not expecting him not to spit up at all. But two or three hours after he's done eating, just going to launch it back up. 
What, what is that? People don't do that. I mean, it's a common thing in babies, and I guess, I mean, he's, he's doing fine. He's, he's putting on a pound a week, just like his old man can do. <laughs> so he's doing good that way. You know, he's growing, he's, he's happy, and we're healthy, and we're very blessed that way. But we're wondering, it's kind of, what do we do to help him with this problem? How do we make it easier for him so he's not in pain and losing his lunch all the time? And so we've tried a few things, and, and, and hopefully that uh, they will work better, and he'll just grow out of it. I guess the one thing that it's really forced us to do, though, is a lot more laundry. Just the other day, I was up at 3 in the morning to change his diaper. And now, I'm telling the story about myself, but I am really not at all the hero um, in raising our, our son. That, that is my wife. Uh, she does an incredible job of that. But this particular story just happens to be involving me in one of the times that I was up. And they're not all the time. I fail, fail a lot. And so I'm up, I'm kind of groggy, you know how it is, walking to the room, we have all those red lights in there, so it's kind of creepy, it doesn't stimulate him too much. And I'm walking in there, and he just erupts on me. Not out the back end, where at least there's a diaper to help me, out the front. And so it's on my arm, and if you know me at all, you know I hate things that are sticky. But I can't just drop him, because I've got a little bit of spit on my arm, so I mean, I, I handled it fine, and laid him down, and... But of course his shirt is just compromised, it's soaked. So... It goes in the hamper, and the hamper seems to pile up quite frequently. And so, I've had to do more laundry. And laundry is a simple concept. I mean, you've shown it once or twice, and you should know how to do it, you'd think. But see, there's been issues that have happened there. Uh, accidentally, over time, and it's happened more than once, sadly, Clothes, none of them mine, funny enough, they're all Ashley's, that had never been introduced to the dryer became acquainted with the dryer, and the dryer knew them. In the same way that I knew it was going to cost me money after they came out of the dryer, because you know when clothes get in the dryer, they're not always the same as when they come out. And so that is an error of mine, and, and, and it's a small problem that, that we've had to deal with. Ashley's very forgiving. I'm very thankful for that because I probably will make more mistakes in the future. The Apostle Paul also had trouble. Did he not? If we look in the pages of the New Testament, we can see all the things that Paul went up against. Physical issues, a lot of spiritual ones. We're going to give a little background on the letter to the Colossians here just so we can grab the context. It's written by the Apostle Paul somewhere around that time, 60 to 62, some say 63 AD, during his imprisonment in Rome. It's written at the same time as the other Pepsi letters. I remember Hugh always used to use that. It's a good way to remember the prison epistles. Pepsi, P-E-P-C. Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, and Colossians. So it's all written at the same time, written by the same author. Some people like to dispute that, but people like to dispute anything nowadays, don't we? But we know that Paul was the author of these letters. And so if you're like me at all, you like to kind of know the area of what we're talking about. Maybe you don't care. This would be a time to kind of tune out for a second then. Because for the longest time, and, and when I wasn't so much studying the word, I had no clue like where somewhere, somewhere like Jerusalem was. It was somewhere way over there. It might, have been a, might as well have been on another planet, though. I had no idea. I had no interest to know. But now that I'm a little bit curious about the stuff, I want to know. So for those of you that also want to know, here it is. You can see Colossae, which is circled behind me. If I duck my big head out of the way. But you can also see where Rome is. So Colossae there, that is modern Turkey. Anyone here ever been to Turkey? Any hands? Don't be shy. No penalty. Chris has been to Turkey. There you go. 
I was expecting no hands. <laughs> Not that that throws me off my rhythm or anything here. But you see how far away Rome is in the top left-hand corner there? That's where Paul is. And he doesn't have a huge yard to stomp, remember? He's a prisoner. He's got a little bit of freedom that people can come visit him. But that's a long way. And so the big issue in Colossae was the heresy that was developing and infiltrating the church there. And so by the time Paul gets word of this heresy, it's taken a long time. It's not just you flip open your phone, find Paul under the P's, phone him up, or text him or email him. It doesn't work that way. The message is going to have to come there via foot, via ship, via donkey's hoof. I don't know. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time to get there, probably weeks to get there. At the same time, his response is going to take a long time to come back as well. So all this time, this heresy has had ample time to fester and to grow within the church there. We're going to dive in a little more to the geography here. You recognize some of the names in the surrounding towns and cities around Colossae there. Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea, Ephesus. These are four of the seven churches that are written about in the book of Revelation. Ephesus was a major center, huge population. And it was about 100 miles west of Colossae. West, do I got that right? If we zoom in a bit more, we see the Tri-City area. This is the Lycus River Valley, and these are the big three cities here. Heriopolis, Laodicea, and Colossae. Now, Colossae, about 15 miles within these two cities. These other two cities, Laodicea and Heriopolis, about six miles apart. And the Lycus River splitting them down the middle. They were on a prominent trade route. So there was lots of exporting, lots of importing, Lots of people coming and going from this tri-city area. So with that, there's lots of ideas and lots of news and just different people selling different things coming through. And so there's lots of opportunity for new ideas to reach this area. Laodicea, a huge financial center, very wealthy. Heriopolis, people would come by the thousands, William Barclay says, to go there to visit the spas. There's some volcanic activity in that area and that opens some thermal orifices, I guess, and therefore there was some nice water in there that people would sit and they would like to take a bath in there. People would also come there to drink the water. They believe it had medicinal purposes to help them. It's hard to gauge the population around this area, but Barclay estimates that there was probably at least around 50,000 Jews in the area alone. And so that's not including the Gentile population. This area is said, like I mentioned, to have some volcanic activity in the ground. And apparently, and you agriculturist people may be able to tell me if this is true, volcanic ground is supposedly always fertile. Wayne's nodding. I don't know, is there volcanic ground around here, Wayne? No. I think we have it pretty good in the land around here. I don't think we need volcanic ground and everything that, the risks that that comes with. But supposedly, volcanic ground is fertile. And so they had great pasture land there. And so what did they do with that pasture land? Well, they filled it with sheep. And when you have lots of sheep, you have lots of access to wool. And the wool industry was huge in this area. That is a, a big way of how they made their money. It's what they were known for. Now the Lycus River that you see, it's a thin blue line that splits all these cities. Supposedly it had a really chalky substance in it. And over time, it would make formations along the banks. Beautiful formations, apparently. Things that it would create over time. I did a project in school on Laodicea and they had to pipe their water in from miles away. And I should have put a picture up here about it, or of it, but over time, almost like fat in the arteries, this chalky substance would close these pipes. And so they'd have to put a new pipe in years later. And that chalky substance somehow aided them 
in this dying process of the wool. And so the name Colossae, well, there's a lot of different thoughts of, of where it comes from. The one I found that was most prominent and the one I think is just the most interesting is that it comes from the color, the purple-reddish color that they were able to dye the wool, which was called Colossinus. Colossae, Colossinus. That might be where it got its name from. Now Strabo, or Strabo, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. He's a Greek geographer, historian, philosopher. His dates are right around. He died about 10 years before Christ was crucified. He called this land in this area, he called it Eusitos, which is a Greek word. And that word Eusitos means that this land here is good for earthquakes. And so that's not necessarily something you want to be known for. And there's multiple, multiple references to giant earthquakes that happened around this area. In 60 AD, around the time that Paul was writing this letter, a huge earthquake flattened all these cities. And so Laodicea, big financial center, right? It had lots of money. And so it just rebuilt itself. In 133 BC, Rome took over this Phrygian province. And Rome was going to help rebuild these cities. But Laodicea just said, no, it's okay. We got enough money. You guys can just stay on your own. We'll rebuild it. Hereopolis was rebuilt as well. But by this time, Colossae had already started to dwindle. Laodicea and Hereopolis were already taken over part of it. And Colossae, by the time that Paul wrote to it, the time of this letter, Colossae was really just a small town. In fact, theologian J.B. Lightfoot, and you don't have to remember any of these names, there is no test. He's a theologian from the late 1800s. He called Colossae the least important town that Paul ever wrote to. That's what Colossae, I guess, is known as. We all are kind of known as things, right? As in, like, the St. Louis Blues are known as one of the luckiest hockey teams in the NHL. As in Royal LePage being known as the best realtors in town. Colossae was known as the most unimportant town that Paul ever wrote to. There's not even any evidence of it ever being excavated. You can see what, what they found in Laodicea and Hierapolis. You can see the buildings and the roads that they've unearthed. Here's what Colossae looks like. That is the Acropolis, the high point of the city. There's no evidence of Paul even visiting there. It says that he hadn't seen them. They hadn't seen his face in the flesh. Since it will soon be that time, I figured I'd even show you a picture of what it looks like in the winter. Not overly impressive. But what is impressive is that Paul took the time to write to them, a small Gentile church there. And doesn't that just show God's characteristic that, that Christ would die even for one of us? It doesn't need to be a big group. They were just a small church there. They were mostly believed to be a Gentile church. And Paul took the time, recognized the need, and wrote them a letter. So as with anything, it is important that we know context to understand meaning. The major issue, as I mentioned, was the heresy that was infiltrating the church, threatening the church. Paul's answer to it is complete and compelling evidence that Christ Jesus is superior to whatever they are trying to bring up against him. In verse 2, I'm not going to put it up there, of this letter, Paul says that he's writing to the saints and to the faithful brethren. He's writing to the Christians there. He's encouraging them and wanting them to lead by example. Are there problems like that today? Heresies in the world? We think of heresy as such an old word, something that we don't use anymore. 
the heresy that was going on at Colossians is a mixture of things. No one's been able to quite put their finger on, on what it is, but it's believed to be a mixture of, of Gnostic belief and Jewish rituals and some Greek thoughts, a little bit of Christianity in there, all kind of blended into one. The idea was that the gospel was too simple and it needed more added to it. There was angel worship, so almost like a cult-like thing. That's another old word. Do we think there's cults in the world nowadays? Apparently, two to three million Americans, ages 18 to 28, I believe the study said, that people that they are involved in cults. Two to three million Americans. We don't think of it as, as really a, a problem in today's world. So what is the relevancy in this letter that Paul's writing here? Is it to correct those who are in cults? Is it to those who claim to be Christians but follow improper doctrine or adopt rituals that, that aren't from the Bible? Could we lump those in that don't even believe in God? These are the ones that we're trying to reach, after all. The ones we're trying to show example to. Fake news is a big thing in this world. False teaching, still just as prevalent in this world as it was back at the time when Paul was writing this letter. If Paul had a car, which I'm sure he wish he did, he could probably do a lot more, more preaching a lot more quickly if he did, I'm thinking this might be a sticker that he would have on the back window. Keep calm and purge the heresy. And so that is the big point of this letter. So how do we convert the unconverted? How do we, as Christians, who Paul was writing to, how do we represent Christ in a way that shows his true love and his true image to others? Once we become Christians, is that just where we end? We don't talk about it to anyone else. We don't really read the rest of the Bible. We read the gospel and, and, and see the death, burial, resurrection in Christ. We get that checked off and then the rest is just nothing. We don't listen to anything else that it has to say in there. Is that what we're supposed to do? Is that what our mission is in life? Well, Jesus shows us that that is not our mission in life. In fact, at the end of the book of Mark, just before he ascends to heaven, he says... And he said to them, And go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. But he who disbelieves shall be condemned. The call is to go out and to spread that to others. And wow, am I weak in that area. I can admit that. There's lots of opportunities I have to maybe bring up the gospel with others. But I'm either too embarrassed of what people thought of me before. Sorry, I'm not embarrassed of the gospel. But maybe I'm too concerned with how people will think of me. And maybe that is being embarrassed. It's definitely something that I personally need to work on. Because we are not to be ashamed of the gospel. And we aren't, but we should want to be out there spreading it with others. Bringing more to God. That is our call. And we're looking at the first 12 verses of Colossians today. And Paul kind of lays out for us a checklist to bring others to Christ. But before we even talk to others about it, it has to be on us. It starts with us. This is the text that Dwayne read for us. I'm not going to read it right now, but we're going to look closely at it. So let's zoom in. Colossians 3, 1, 3, and 4. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. What's Paul showing them here? What does it say? He's praying always for them. Paul has not met these people. He can't even go see them, remember? He's kind of fastened to a chain, not going too far. 
And so I guess maybe he has lots of time to pray and write. But he's praying always for these people, this small group of people who he's never met. Paul is also the author of Thessalonians. And if you want a good verse to memorize, this would be one. Because the entirety of it is up there. There's only one shorter verse in the Bible. And so in this chapter, which, which this part of the chapter, sorry, uh, begins in verse 12. And in my Bible, the one that I most commonly use, the New American Standard, there's a man-made title heading in there. And it is called Christian Conduct. And so this is the way that we as Christians are supposed to be conducting ourselves, how it looks to be a Christian. And I invite you to read that verse 12 down to all the way to the end of that chapter and see how many of those things we're checking off. Pray without ceasing is one of those. Paul's example of prayer, he continues this on. This is his prayer in the text that we're looking at. It's beginning in verse 9. For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He has not ceased to pray for them. He is continually praying. What does that mean, pray without ceasing? Does that mean I have to be up here on my knees, hands folded, head bowed all the time? We would never leave from that position. But it is that idea of continual communication with God. That is a great spiritual tool that we now have as Christians. That we can talk to God at any time. We do not have to wait in line. We have the ear of the Almighty whenever we want it. What a beautiful thing that is. So Paul knew that, so he's often bringing things to God because he can't go there himself, right? And he knows that God has way more power than him. What kinds of prayers are there? Is there prayers for thanksgiving? Sure. Are there prayers of supplication? Prayers of asking? Yes, we have those as well. Paul's asking here for the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Not Paul's will. Not the world's will. But the will of God, capital H. He's asking that the church here understand. You can know something but not understand it, I believe. And see, he wants them to grasp it fully. And remember, keeping in context here of what they're dealing against. We always have to remember that when we're looking at this. That that heresy is threatening them. It is threatening the church. It is pulling people away. If left unchecked, it could have destroyed the faith in that area. And from there, it just grows. When it gets rolling, it just keeps going. So he's asking that the Christians here have knowledge so they can combat that. Keep the church strong. This is some of the text that we've looked at here already. We're just going to go through it that way. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. You are, you are a Christian. You are a righteous person. And the reason that it's powerful and effective is because that prayer goes to God. It is not of you that it is powerful. But it is because you are utilizing God. It is God's power that we're using there. How often do we pray? Is it three times a day if you're having three meals a day? Is it six times if you're having snacks like me throughout the day? Do you pray before a snack? But I don't think we do a lot of the time. Is it more on Sundays because we come to church and we pray? John had a great prayer for us. Could we pray right now if we wanted to? We could. Maybe we should. Maybe we will. Because I'm up here and I got the mic. So if you wouldn't mind. 
Father, we're thankful for everyone here today. We're thankful for you and all that you mean to us. Father, personally, I, I asked some information that, I, that came to me recently about a family um, that are close to my stepmom. Four of the five siblings, their father, have, have fallen ill with cancer and other diseases all in a span of a couple years. God, would you be with them? Reveal yourself to them and be the strength that they need. Be it that they know you, Father, because we all know those out there that do not know you. Help us to be a light and a great representative of your Son so that they will come to know you and come to love you. Amen. Simple prayer. And that was a personal prayer of mine. I'd love to pray with anyone else as well, but we all have these prayers, and we can always be talking to God. Like I said, we don't have to be on our knees with our hands folded all the time. You can talk to God while you're driving. Don't have your eyes closed while you're driving. But that is the part of our relationship where we can have continual communication. God is listening to us at all times. I've got a prayer story here. A gentleman named Tony, religious fellow, faithful guy. His community is having a flood. And so Tony prays to God and he says, God, please keep me safe from this flood. I trust you. We fast forward, Tony's on his roof because the waters are getting a little high. Tony prays again, God, I trust that you'll keep me safe. And at that time, a canoe comes by. And it's Tony's friends and they say, hey, Tony, jump aboard. Water's getting high, we gotta get out of here. Tony explains to them, no, I prayed to God, God's gonna keep me safe. They know he's a religious guy, so they say, ah, you know what, there's no convincing him. Let's paddle on out of here. Water gets a little higher now, Tony's sweating a little bit. He prays again, God, please keep me safe. I know you have the power to do this. Just then, a police boat comes by. They're kind of doing their rounds as the evacuation continues, and they say, sir, jump aboard this boat. You won't have much time. The waters are getting higher. Tony explains the same thing to them. They can't force him to leave, so the boat cruises off. Now Tony's shorts are getting a little wet for multiple reasons. Maybe he's a little scared, but <laughs> the, the floodwaters are high is what we're saying. They're at his waist. And so Tony prays again to God. He's a faithful guy after all, and he says, God, please keep me safe. He's a trusting guy. Keep me safe from this flood. Just then, that's my helicopter sound. A helicopter comes over top. They throw down the rope ladder and they say, Sir, that's my horn. Grab hold of the ladder and we'll pull you to safety. And he's waving his arms, but he's pointing. He says, No, God's going to have this for me. It's okay. You guys continue on. He waves them off and the chopper goes off into the distance. And if we fast forward some more, Tony's now in heaven because he died during that flood. It's not a true story. I hope it's not. I don't mean to make light of that part, that he died, but he did. So he wakes up in heaven. Like I said, he was a faithful guy. But he wakes up there, and he's a little cheated. He's in the prime of his life, and he says, oh, you know what, I prayed to God three or four times there, and he didn't answer my prayer. And now we can tell this is a fake story, because no one would ever have that attitude once they got to heaven. Why would they want to go back down to earth? <laughs> Humor me for a second. Tony's a little chap. He's waiting in line. He says, oh, you know... Once I get in God's ear, I'm going to let him know. I'm going to ask him where he was. And so he gets that opportunity, his meeting with God. And he's talking to God and said, God, I prayed to you so many times to save me, yet here I am. 
And God says, Anthony, I sent you a canoe, I sent you a boat, and I sent you a helicopter. All these different avenues to save you. But there was no action on his behalf. And that's how we're going to transition rather smoothly, I think, into our second point. The first thing that we need to be as Christians is a people of prayer. Paul shows that by example here. We need to be praying for each other as well as those that don't know God. We'll look in the text here. So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power. What's Paul asking? What's he expecting of them here? To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. What does that mean? Walking is an action. We're not standing still in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walking is an action. Bearing fruit in every good work. That is the idea of growth. And we go back to his prayer here. What's he asking for? The increase of knowledge of God. Remember? He's asking that they have all understanding. These ideas of increasing, walking, and, and bearing fruit, that's the idea of growth. An apple tree will not produce a banana. The same way where a banana tree will not produce an apple. Now that'll make sense in a little bit. What kinds of fruit are there in the world? There's numerical fruit which would be the kind of fruit about having a full, vibrant church, bringing in the numbers that way, which is a great thing. Who doesn't like having a full building? It's not as big a deal for God. God is happy with just a few faithful believers. But it's nice to have a big group. But there's also the spiritual fruit, and that's the one that God is more concerned with. We're going to take a little break from the fruit talk for a second, and we're going to look at this verse here. Strengthened with all power. Now here's a good lesson, and, and, and tune in for this one. So you see that verse there, strengthened with all power. What does this text look like to you on the screen? Does it look like Greek to you? Trick question, it is Greek. <laughs> it's Koine Greek, which is the language that the New Testament was written in. And so what this says, now let me sound it out, I'm still pretty new to the Greek world. Duname, dunamoi, menoi. Not too bad. But you don't know how it sounds, so I mean, I could be completely wrong. But what that means, what that translates to, that is actually the Greek of this verse that I just read here. Strengthened with all power. What that means is with power empowered. See, as Christians, we have access to God's power. Not the entirety of it. And it's not the same Holy Spirit that they got when they were beginning to distribute the gospel. But the power we have is still amazing, and it does come from God. And so this translates, again, with power empowered to strengthen with all power. And so I kind of cut that verse off here, strengthened with all power, because it continues on that we're strengthened according to his glorious might. So it is power from God that we have, but we need to be tapping into that. We have access to it. And there's a reason that I like the word that where that duname comes from. The actual word in the Greek for a certain kind of power, and that's why Greek is a tough language. There's more than one word that means more than one thing. But dunamis is the word. And if you learn one thing, you can learn that dunamis is the word where the word dynamite is born out of. That power. Power, power yeah, Jones. 
There's a little explosion there for the, just for the kids. But dunamis is part of God's nature. That power, that is part of his nature. Just as nature, as Curtis said last week, sin is a part of our nature. God has this power and we are able, by acting, able to take hold of some of that. Now I'm going to go into story mode. I told you I'd be up here for a while. I'm sorry about that. But I'm also teaching the class today. So you're either going to hear me now or you're going to hear me then. My father-in-law, John, I told him that yesterday and he made a pretty good point. Um, at least if you're hearing more of me then, you'll have had the opportunity to mingle and leave in the meantime. You won't have, you'll have the opportunity to get away from me teaching the class. And so, story time mode. Listen up, kids. This is the silhouettes of me and my brother. They aren't actually. I'm a lot more shorter than him, but I tried to make them kind of even. <laughs> and so, good story about action, how we need to be acting as Christians. As we were growing up, I'd often have a bag of chips in my hand, and my brother, if he was snacking on something in a room, I'd be all over him. See, I was always a little bit of a heftier guy, and I didn't want that for my brother for whatever reason. And I'd always be in his ear, I'd be like, whew, you should know, you should put that down. Be leaned up against the door, full bag. You sure you want to eat that? Looking a little round there, bud. Like, and here I am, tipping the scales way more than him. And he was never, never that hefty a guy even. Only the, the times where he was not in a growth spurt, because he'd, he'd grow up and then he'd be thin as a rail. And for whatever reason, I always wanted that for him. Not there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I, I'm that. But I mean, I always gave him a hard time that way where the point of the story is what example was I setting? The pot was phoning the kettle there, you know? It just didn't work. I would hate it when my brother would swear. I would not like it. It would bother me to no end. So that's him using poor language. Here's my response to him. Not anymore, but at the time. What sense does that make? I don't want you to swear, but I'm going to swear at you to tell you not to swear. Where is the example that I'm setting for him in that? What kind of fruit was I displaying to him? Christ in the Sermon on the Mount says this, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Remember the heresy that we're talking about. Does that not kind of sound like it? Slow infiltration until it finally takes hold. The false prophets there. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. That's that whole idea I was talking about of an apple tree producing a banana. If an apple is good, which is generally thought of that way, it's not going to produce bad. The same way bad will not produce good. If we are acting the way that a Christian is supposed to be acting, the way that Paul wants the church here to act, to set the example, Christians don't influence bad behavior in others if that makes sense. Every tree that does not bear fruit, that does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. He would say that. You're not judging people. You're just fruit inspecting. The way that we know what good fruit looks like is by knowing God's word. I told you I was in story mode. This one you probably heard from Dale, but it's a good story, and it's always stuck with me when he told, told it to me. So there's a... People that, that deal with money, maybe at a bank, 
that are constantly looking over money. What do they study to find fraudulent coins or bills? Do they study all the different kinds of frauds in the world? That's a lot to learn because, I mean, those schemers, are, they're getting better all the time. They're making it closer and closer to the real thing. They're trying different tricks. To study all that would just be a lot on your mind. No, people in that position, they just study the real thing. They study what actual real money, because there's only one way that it works, that, it, that it's correct. They study that. And so they know when fake money comes along, by knowing the real thing, they recognize the fraud. The same way that we have to know God's word here. If the Christians in Colossae knew God's word inside and out, if they had all that spiritual knowledge, any heresy would have been gone out the door right away. Because they would have known what God had for them. I'm still in story mode. Last one. When I was, and I've told you guys lots of, of my life before I became a Christian, really. I mean, I always considered myself a believer, but no one would, would ever have thought that, really, by how, by how my fruit looked. And so I'd be up in the bar, and no one ever came up to me and said, you're a Christian, why are you, why are you acting this way? Why are you getting drunk? No one ever questioned me on, on my language or anything like that and said a Christian shouldn't act that way. And you know why no one ever came up and questioned me on that stuff? It's because they didn't think I was one. Because nothing suggested in my life that I was. And that's a problem. We're filling up our text here. Every sermon I do, I seem to have Galatians 5, 22, and 23 in there. So I just figured I'd chuck it in again. We're talking about fruits of the Spirit. I'm not sure how clear that is for you guys there. But look at that list there. That is what we are supposed to be showing. That is what Paul wants the Christians at Colossae to exemplify. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It takes a lot to work on these. And it's continual work. But it's what we're called to do. First two things we have down. Prayer. It's got to be accompanied with action. We give thanks to God. We've looked at this text before, but we're going over it again. Glean something else from it. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you have previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. What's Paul showing them here? We give thanks to God. Paul's giving thanks to God. Really? I mean, he's a prisoner. He doesn't have a whole lot to be thankful for, it wouldn't seem. What else has he given thanks for? Faith, love, hope. Ooh, we've heard those words from Paul before. I'm going to show you where it is in a second. Bonus points for anyone who can name the verse before I get there. What else is he th thankful for? The word of truth, the gospel. There it is. Faith, hope, and love, but the grace of these is love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Paul is armed with these words at all times. And he makes sure people know about it. You can see it in his other letters as well. We're starting to fill up this text pretty good here. We're covering a lot of it. Let's look at some other things that Paul is thankful for. He's thankful for the truth, the gospel. He's thankful for the grace of God. He's thankful for the Spirit. He's thankful for its glorious might of God, which is where the power supply is from. That's that continuation of that sentence that I was talking about, about earlier. Strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. You are strong because of God, not because of anything that you have done. 
and he bookends it. As he begins it, we give thanks to God, giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of the light. Our opportunity to spend the rest of our, our eternal lives with God is not because of us. It's because God has opened that avenue through Christ on the cross that we have the opportunity to be saved from the power of darkness and transferred over to the power of light. Who was their example in all this? We haven't mentioned him much yet. Epaphras, good buddy of Paul's. He's a faithful servant of Christ. He was the one who was dealing with the church there. He might as well have been the, he might have been the founder. He might have been the minister there. But he's the example that the Colossians have. Look to him. And why do we do all this? In the end, it is to please God in all respects. To obey God. And so we fill out our list here. Prayer, action, and we get to thanksgiving. Think of the most humble and thankful person that you know. What is it like to be around them? Are they a joy to be around? Is there a certain peace about them? A challenge that I have for you, especially tomorrow because it's a Monday, no one's a big fan of them. Tomorrow, thank God for everything, little things. You get stuck in construction traffic or something on the way to work, just thank God for it and use it as an opportunity to talk to God. You'll find that it lightens the load on your day, I think. That it keeps your heart in the right place. After all, we need to be thankful for, for all that God's given us here. This peace that we can have from giving thanks, that is what we're selling to others. People often wonder how Christians can be so content even in poor circumstances. Look at Paul's example again. That peace and that thanksgiving is from God because we know what we have in Christ. P-A-T. Now this is really Hewish here because he always does stuff with words and, and spells them out. I came up with this one on my own. It just kind of fell into my lap. Any big Bomber fans out there? I bet you there's a lot more now and it, because they're 5-0. and oh. If they were 0-5, oh maybe there wouldn't be so many out there. But when the Bombers score a touchdown, what is the thing that happens after that? The pat attempt or the point after touchdown. Another word for that, if you look that up, is called a convert. And so if we want to be setting the example for others, we need to be a people of prayer, a people of action, a people of thanksgiving. That's how we kick the field goal, and that's how we kick others through the door into Christ. I and mean, we're not going to force them through there. It's a decision they've got to make on their own. But we want to be that light to others. I've used Paul as a great example here, but let's remember that it's the Holy Spirit writing through all these men who wrote in the New Testament. It's God using Paul. Paul even said, imitate me as I imitate Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This all starts with us. Paul is encouraging the church there. Asking that they live a life pleasing to God. He knows that if they're wise in the ways of God, this heresy won't be able to touch them. They're acting it out. And that it will be a great example to those who are mixed up in the heresy. The heretics. They will be able to show Christ to the world. We close with this, jumping forward a little bit in Colossians. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well, that God will open to us up a door for the word so that we may speak forth 
the mystery of Christ. Let's make sure we keep our eyes open for that door that's open. And remember that we are the representatives here. We have to be the ones that represent Jesus. While the main problem is the heresy, the main theme and answer is the unparalleled Christ. To him be the glory. Thank you.